Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, we have a great episode for you here today. We are continuing our three-part series with our good friend, Mr. Bill Winky. So if you guys uh, have listened to us before, you've heard Bill on here a couple times. The last one was mid-August we had him on. And we're going through this series with the idea of picking Bill's brain and finding out what we should be doing as hunters and habitat managers right now during this time of the year. So the last one we talked about was mid-August. This is going to be late August, early September time frame, and then we'll have a third one wrapping this up later this month with Bill Winky. So this one we're going to be talking about saving your fall food plots, cereal grains, mock scrapes, tree stand, and archery tips and prep, um, using blinds where tree stands are not available, and uh, using blinds for good and bad winds, um, some bulletproof setup type stuff there. So guys, Bill is just on another level. We've said it many times. He's awesome to talk to. So I really hope you enjoy this. I just want to thank you guys for coming back. I also want to thank uh, everybody who's gone to HabitatPodcast.com. We have some new media coming up there this fall. We'll have some new blog posts and journals up there. We will also have um, some new hats and shirts being stocked here shortly. So I just want to tell you guys, head on over there to HabitatPodcast.com. You can see all of our gear. All the podcasts um, are on there, all 143 of them. Um, our, our Habitat Journal, like I just mentioned, and, and you know all of our, our information, our land plan services. We're booking land plans 
for 2022 now. Um, we're officially done 2021, end of last month, and um, we're already booking a few for 2022. So if you want to get on that list, send us an info or an email, info at habitatpodcast.com, or if you scroll down, you'll see all of our partners, all of our discounts for the podcast listeners, and then how to leave us reviews, get a hold of us, email us. is all right below in the, in the episode. So thank you guys very much. Now, I want to thank uh, Packer Max Cult of Packers, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel, Nut Planter at nutplanter.com, Morse Nursery, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. So, guys, if you listening back to episode 53, we have a, an episode we did on the squirrel, which is an acorn or a nut planting device where you can plant hundreds and thousands of these nuts without bending over, without letting anybody know you were in the woods, you know, without disturbing the ground, letting the squirrels know where your nuts are at. It's awesome. We interviewed Lowell Larson Sr. on episode 53. Check it out. We're going to interview him again soon. We have the Squirrel 1.5, which is a new version that's large enough for chestnuts and and that type, that like. So check him out, nutplanter.com, a new partner of ours. We're going to be having Lowell on again here soon, and that's called the Squirrel. And then, guys, I want to get us an update from Chad Thalen over at Realtree United Country Land Pro. Lake States Realty and Auction. I jumped on the phone with Chad. We got a few-minute update here on the market, what Chad's been up to. So I want to put that in right now. And um, here we are with Chad. After this, we'll get right into it with Bill Winky. Hey, Chad, welcome back. Good to hear your voice. Uh, how you been doing? What you been up to the last couple of months? Hey, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, boy, just all stuff all over the place um new listings working on um working on habitat uh in southern michigan jackson county clinton ionia gratiot montcalm um it's been in what 90s for a couple weeks prior to now and now we're down in the 50s and uh for lows and 70s for highs so um it's great to get out of that hot spell and start thinking about you know our hunting and fall projects and and working on tree stands but it's been a crazy summer right we've had no rain and then torrential downpours for a day or two and then back to no rain and high heat it's it's been a struggle uh keeping food plots looking good Um, i'm sure you've experienced that yourself here in the last couple months but yeah we're um kind of we're in that transition, right? A summer to fall food plots, and I think summer to fall food uh, trail camera locations. You know, the deer or bucks are starting to do some different things now with shedding and um, shedding their velvet, and so we're moving some cameras on for sale properties. You know, we we uh, use the Tacticam reveal cameras on our for sale properties, and to get live live updates pretty much where I can update Facebook pages and stuff like that. And so we're moving, moving some cameras around right now and um, um, bucks are shedding that velvet. Those are some pretty good, pretty good pictures that I get. And um, so coming into the best time of the year, I'm the way I feel. Oh yeah. We're fired up over here too. And, and I mean, I've been seeing 
a few trail cam pictures popping up of bucks losing their velvet and just finally getting into that full hunt mode, wrapping up the habitat stuff. And um, you know, speaking of getting into that mode, are you able to peel away from the real estate these days, or are you staying busy there too? Yeah, it's as busy as you want it to be. You know, the more you, you work at obtaining listings, you know, it just snowball effects and word of mouth and, you know, throwing a sign up on a property gets uh, the phone definitely ringing. And, and um, yeah, there's lots of people thinking about selling their properties now uh, that would have never thought about selling before because of the way the market is and the, the value of the acre increasing. And um, lots of people are searching that's for darn sure you know from one acre on a lake to uh you know a million dollar property uh with a log home on it and uh, everything in between so you know it's i hate to say taking advantage of the situation but there's a lot of people like i said that would never thought of selling but because their property maybe have doubled in value in the last five or six years they're really considering it and uh that's putting a lot more properties out there on the market. Um, it's definitely interesting times that we're in right now, and I have no idea if, if this frenzy of buying is going to uh, continue or not, but um, I guess I kind of hope it does. But uh, we've got some real quality properties coming up here in, in southern and in mid-Michigan, and my counterparts all over the United States, uh, you know, with the United Country property, uh, real estate is, um, they're just killing it all over Ohio, Kansas, Missouri. Um, they're just selling stuff as fast as it comes on the market. Well, that's good to hear. Um, and, you know, for our listeners are not just in Michigan, you know, where you're located and listing property, they're, they're all over the place. So, you know, if, if anybody's thinking about throwing up their property, now seems to be a great time to sell based on what I've been watching in the market the last six months and what you're telling me. Um, you know, how do these people get a hold of you and, and the Land Pro team? Yeah, so at, um, you know, myrealtreelandpros.com is my, uh, my site, one of my sites, and then realtreeuc.com dot com is our national hunting property site um and if you're in other states you can reach out to me directly 517-819-6344 and uh i can connect you to some of our uh, land pro agents in these other states as well and, and get you connected to the right agent if you're looking you know to sell uh, or or to buy um but uh you know, we get a lot of traffic on our sites, and there's lots and lots of listings on the RealtreeUC.com site. So uh, reach out to me in that site, and uh, we can connect you to the right agent in the right part of the country. Um, you know, that late August, early September, habitat or hunting to-do task. What's Bill Winky thinking about and doing that time of year? I think by then there's only a few things left to do. Uh, you know, a lot of the, like they say, the cake is in the oven by then. But uh, the 
you, you can still, I would say, salvage some food plot acres with something that grows really fast. And that would be a, a like a cereal, like a cereal grain mix, you know, whether it's winter rye, triticale, winter wheat. I've had really good success over the years planting that late August because normally you got a little bit of, of soil moisture by then and maybe just a couple more rains come in. So those things will jump quick and you'll get, you know, at least something. Um, so if you're looking at your area saying, gosh, you know, the stuff that I was really hoping for didn't grow and uh, what do I do now? You can save those spots sometimes, you know, with that kind of a, of a strategy. Uh, don't skimp on the fertilizer. Everybody wants to do that really cheap, but for that stuff to grow, it needs nitrogen and, uh, it will respond pretty quickly if you, you know, if you give it what it wants. Uh, that's a, that's one thing. That would also be a time if you're going to establish next year's clover and you're saying, okay, I want to have clover here. This was maybe a spot that didn't have anything in it. Uh, you clean it up, you know, do the, do the whole prep work and then plant the clover with the winter wheat. I had some really good success with that over the years too, where that winter wheat grows enough that it serves as a good attractant for the, the current year. But then the clover gets a really good head start, and it's really rolling by spring of the next year. So you don't have any weed control issues then. You're better off, I think, establishing your clover in the late summer if you can, because then you don't have the weed issue the next year. You know, if, you, if, you, if you establish clover in the spring, I always feel like the weeds are coming up at the same time the clover is, and they're fighting each other. Whereas doing it in the late summer of the previous year, I feel like the clover gets off to a head start and the weeds, they just really can't quite keep up. Um, so that's just a thought. The, uh, you know, that's also a pretty good time to uh, do some of the final stuff around your tree stands. And that might mean, you know, a, a licking branch, mock scrape setup. Those have gotten really popular, and I put out a few of those. I didn't have quite as much success with that as what some people have. So let's say you've got maybe a one-acre food plot, and you've got a blind at one end of it or a tree stand at one end of it, and, you know, deer come out into that thing, they don't necessarily make it down to your end. You know, you don't really want to put a decoy out there because you're not sure if you're going to spook deer with it. The next best thing is to put, you know, some kind of a mock scrape tree uh, out in there and give the deer an excuse to come down to your end. And uh, so this would be a good time for that time frame you're talking about would be a good time to put that in, uh, get that started. You, you uh, probably want to do, you know, the actual scent, at least at first. And, and people think, oh, you know, it's not natural to be fed. The deer don't really think that much about it. It's not like they're thinking, oh, this must have been made by a man because no deer would make a scrape now. Um, they don't really think like that. <laughs> so you can get scrapes started a little bit quicker than what you think you might be able to uh, by late August for sure. Uh, you can start getting a scrape going and they're not too far away from the testosterone levels coming up, you know, shedding their velvet, breaking up their bachelor groups, doing all that stuff. So they're already starting to feel that testosterone kick in. So that's something too, that would work really well during that time frame. Uh, another important job, uh, obviously doing a lot of early season or preseason bow shooting prep. That's a big step. I think in August, uh, especially late August, I don't shoot year-round. Um, you know, I, I love shooting a bow, but I got burned out, you know, over the years. You know, I used to shoot year-round, and 
I'd compete and shoot in 3D tournaments. I wasn't ever great at it, but it was fun. And then little by little, you know, life just got busy. And it's like, man, I don't need to shoot my bow all year, you know, to be good enough to kill a white-tailed deer. So I really started kicking that in in August. and gives me a couple of months, you know, before the action's really going to be there. And, and usually within two months, I can get pretty close to where I need to be, you know, with the strength and accuracy with the bow. So that's kind of my list, I'd say, during that time. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with the shooting, Bill. I don't shoot year-round as much as I probably should, but uh makes a lot of sense as long as you're getting the reps in when you need to and, and, and get accurate. I just had a couple of follow-up questions on some of your tasks there. Uh, going back to the fertilizer, you said don't, not to skimp on it. Are you putting that in when you put the grains in, or you wait until that's up out of the ground? Again, you're probably – if you're no-tilling it, I would wait until – you know you've got a rain coming uh, because that stuff will grow. I mean, you don't have to worry about winter wheat and, and oats and triticale and, and cereal rye. You don't want to plant rye grass. That's one thing we need to make sure that people get is there's a difference between rye grass and cereal rye. Absolutely. Uh, cereal rye is an annual. Rye grass is a perennial. It's you know, kind of what people plant in their yards. Um, I don't know how deer react to, to rye grass, but I know they love cereal rye. So anyway, um, that stuff is going to grow. I mean, that stuff is, I don't know, it must have a little engine that could, you know, in that seed because it gets that rain and that stuff is, boom, you know, it's up. So I don't worry too much about seeing it first, but I do want to get a rain in the forecast or, you know, a really solid chance for a rain because um, then your nitrogen is going to go into the ground rather than going up in the air. Now, as far as the scrapes that you're making, are you using just natural tree limbs, or have you tried any ropes or vines or anything like that? Uh, I mean, I always just cut a branch out of an oak tree and, and drilled a hole in a wooden fence post and stuck the branch in there and, you know, ran a deck screw through it to hold it in place. Um, but I know there are some pretty cool systems out there, <coughs> excuse me, that use, like, flexible you know, synthetic man-made trees that have like a, like you said, like a something that hangs down, you know, a little man-made setup. Those would be a lot quicker and a lot easier. Uh, I think buck sticks or something like that is one of those. Uh, that's a pretty good system. There was, there's also one that you can do, gosh, I wonder if I can think of the name of it, but it fits on a T-post. It's a, it's a limb holder. And, uh, Putting a T-post in is way easier than putting a wooden post in. In this little bracket that slides down over the T-post and locks in place, then it's got a receptacle where you can just slide the limb into it and you can angle it however you want to. The angle is adjustable and you lock the branch into that receptacle. Now you've got a nice little mock scrape for no more than the effort of putting a T-post in the ground. Uh, that's way better, again, than, you know, putting that wooden post in where you got to you know, dig that hole with the post hole digger, you know, put the concrete in around it. And, you know, granted, that's pretty dang permanent, but I don't know that I really want something permanent in the middle of my food plot either. Um, so anyway, those are some options that, that might be a lot easier than, uh, you know, some of the methods that I've used. I've tried all the different ones, and, and I do think that the one I like the best right now is just that that T-post with that, that uh, receptacle that holds the branch. Yeah, that one's called a... Um Scrape stick, Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. That's pretty darn neat. I just 
made a video on one of those things. You, you're right. You can put a T-post in. You can screw it to a wooden post or a tree. It's very versatile. And um, and then your your oak limb, I like that. Uh, why do you choose an oak limb? And then do you put any sort of dripper or anything up top? Uh, I've seen some guys do it. Some guys don't. So curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I'm not the world's greatest at it. You know, like I said, I didn't have super success with it. So I might be the wrong guy to ask on that. But, <laughs> uh, I do like the oak because I think they hold the leaves better than most of the other the other options around. And, you know, especially the shingle oaks, which in our area are pretty prevalent, uh, they seem like they hold their leaves just that it'll still have leaves in there the next fall. Um, but you got to get it when it's green. You know, if, if the leaves start to turn, then they've already got that separation already started, you know, where they're going to shed. Uh, so if you catch them when they're green, those those uh, those oak branches will hold leaves for a long time. The uh, I'm thinking Jared Mills had really good success with something. Golly. Uh, maybe I'll think of it. Some, yeah, dang it. Anyway, he used an actual scent, and he would put it on a like a rag. He would tie a rag to the branch. You know, they, you can zip tie it to the branch or whatever, and he just put it right on that rag and just, you know, just became part of the tree branch. Um, so, uh, yeah. Well, my memory's not very good. I can't remember hardly anything anymore. But that he, he was uh, – he did really good with that. He had great success. He used to put a bell on there, too, on that rag. And then, uh, you know, if it was around the corner from his tree stand or whatever, he could hear the No the, way. He could hear the buck <laughs> over there, you know, working it because he could hear the bell ringing. I thought that's pretty dang cool. You know, you're sitting in your tree stand listening to that bell ringing. Uh, wow. Yeah, so that's uh, that's another thought that, that uh, I thought was pretty creative. Yeah, I – I've never heard the bell. That's 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 very intriguing. I'll have to ask Jared about that. That's uh, as far as the rag too. That's also a good idea. I've, I mean, I've seen guys use the the ropes, the hemp rope, kind of probably achieving yeah, the same that, thing as the rag. And that might be what Jared's doing. He might be using the hemp rope. Um, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. And and I know that the only two scents that I've heard that um, that have been you know just far and above everything else I've heard about. Some guys use that Smokies Deer Lure. That's the one that Jared uses. Is that it? Okay. I've also had luck with uh, Buck Fever Synthetics. Um, That's that's worked very well here in Michigan. And uh, so just for whatever that's worth, those two products seem to be the ones that I hear about the most. Yeah, and and that's the one that, like you said, that that Smokies is the one that he's had good success with. Um, For me, I don't know, it was something with my deer on that farm. Uh, They just never adopted my scrape trees uh, and, and maybe I just didn't try hard enough but I killed a lot of deer anyway so I didn't worry that much about it um, <laughs> but that you know if I'd been really trying to maximize the effectiveness of those things I would have had to call people that had more success with it than me sure sure so for for this segment this time of the year you have you know your cereal grains getting those in the ground um, fertilizing not skimping on the fertilizer if you have a crop up, we have, um, you know, shooting your bow, getting that dialed in, which is a great tip. I just started doing that right now, do that more. Uh, then you have, um, you know, and there's some, some mock scrape discussion here. Uh, that's that's all great information. Is there anything else that you normally do in this late August sort of, you know, Labor Day weekend type? type yeah, work? I still think cleaning out your shooting lanes. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that's one. And you got to be a little bit careful there because some trees will hold leaves well into the fall and some trees will shed their leaves, you know, in early September. Uh, if you're in one of those trees that sheds early and you cut out, you know, a big massive shooting lane that makes sense in July or August, you may be out there like a sore thumb. So you got to be just a little bit careful knowing what kind of tree you're in to determine how much of a shooting lane you cut this time of the year because it may be completely different, you know, when October 1 rolls around or even September 15. But that's that's the only risk of cutting your lanes now is that you risk cutting too much because, you know, the leaves are a lot thicker and, you know, things are going to look different when you actually sit in there during the hunting season. Yep, I I did that uh, about two years ago. Hung a big double ladder stand for my kid and I, one of my kids and I, and then uh, these two these two maples were just right in front of me, just you know, just blocking so much of the view. And I I cut them, and now it's like wide open. Yeah, and the maples drop early too, so you can kind of count on them to you know to open up. Um, the uh, you know I I think there's a real art to hanging tree stands and and you know, I've never actually written about it. Everybody kind of takes it for granted, I think. You know, I've never even, you know, done videos about it. But uh, I think that, you know, I spend a lot of time standing at the base of, you know, two or three different trees trying to figure out how I can get in there and get hidden. And it's a lot easier now that I don't have a camera following me. I'm not, I'm not filming my hunts right now. And, you know, so there's a really easy way to do it. But when you had to put two people up there, I mean, you had to get, you had to get pretty good at taking advantage of the leaves and maybe bringing in some, you know, extra branches and kind of creating that, you know, that little screen that you could hide behind. Um, you know, hunting by myself, it's super easy. Just put the tree stand up on the back of the tree uh, so that you're on the opposite side from where you expect the deer to be. And then you just hide behind the tree. You know, you stay standing most of the time. That works really, really well. But when you got two people, that doesn't work a bit. Yeah, for sure. And as far as these stand locations that you have, for the ones that you might be using year-round in the same tree, do you replace the straps or loosen them, or do you take them down completely every year and inspect them? I carry straps with me uh, when I go in every year, and uh, usually I'll put a fresh strap on every year. It's just they're not that expensive. Um, and, and then what you can do, you know, you can take the – you can use a ratchet strap and take it down with you the last time you hunt it, you know, each year, and then you bring the bring it back with you. Um, I'm a big believer in. I've got some tree stands out that had, you know, when, when I sold that farm, they had three or four straps on them. <laughs> you know, I just I wasn't going to trust the ones that were there. You always want to make sure that the metal's not corroding or rusting, but your biggest risk is going to be the straps. So I might have overkilled a few of those, but I never took that risk that the strap might be on the edge, I always would put another one up. And like I said, they aren't that expensive. Uh, pull it out with you when you're done at the end of the season. Leave the stand if you want to. It's always best to bring stands in every couple of years. Right. And look them over. Uh, but, you know, at the very minimum, you should carry some straps with you when you're going in there for the very first time you hunt. Don't take any chance. Even if you're going in in the dark on a, you know, November 3rd morning, Put that strap around the tree before you climb in, around the stand before you climb into it. Even if you don't know whether the one that's on there is so good or not, why risk it? Yep. 
Yep, there's no point in risking it, especially for yeah, they're, they're $5 not expensive strap. anymore. You can get those straps for, gosh, next to nothing at Walmart. I tell you what, for some reason, the one thing that bugs me is when, like, I've had to resort to, like, a neon orange strap. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I don't know why that bugs me. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I have to – I usually have them in my car, so there's no reason you shouldn't carry one up with you. Um, yeah, I keep them in my pack even, like the pack I carry. Good idea. Um, I always replenish. You know, I always have at least one in there all the time. So no matter what situation I go to, you know, I can throw another strap around the tree. So with this time of the year, you know, the, the late August, early September, and, and the habitat and hunting to-dos we just covered, let's talk about a, a story of how this paid off for you. Um, another another cool story. Love to hear, you know, what you might have in mind. Yeah, I was trying to think. See, this one is a little bit less, this time frame, the stuff that we do is maybe a little bit less in my wheelhouse than some of the other the other management time frames. We can talk about different scenarios. I'm trying to think of one. <clears throat> I don't plant cereal grain very much. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it works, and, it, and, and people do it. You know, I've just... It's just never been – I always gotten my stuff in prior. I never had to do a September food plot usually. And if I did, you know, a lot of times I'd still make it a brassica plot and hope for the best. But Okay. Um, the uh, – let me think of another – you know, here's a, here's a tip, just maybe a tip for food plots in general that would be useful. People always want to set their stand in the spot where they think the deer comes out. You know, it's like, okay – I've got this one acre food plot on the edge of like a commercial field or whatever. I'm going to put my stand on the trail that leads into it. Uh, that makes sense, right? Oh yeah. Gotcha. But what, but what wind direction are you going to hunt that and how are you going to get out of there at the end of legal shooting time? Uh, those are the bigger questions because you think, well, I'll hunt it on a crosswind. Well, what if a deer uses a different, you know, a different trail? There's, there's not usually just one trail that leads in there. So now you got deer downwind to be blowing. Um, you surely can't hunt with the wind blowing into the timber. So you're thinking, well, maybe I'll hunt it with the wind blowing out towards the food plot. Well, that's great until deer start getting out in the food plot. <laughs> um, so that that situation doesn't really work. Um, so you've got really two options. The one is to hunt on the opposite side. If there's you know trees or whatever on that side. That can work pretty well, and I've had a lot of really good success doing that. So it, you're not always going to be in the game on every single scenario when a deer comes out into the plot. Sometimes they're going to come out, and they're going to mess around. They're going to do their thing and then go back in again, and you won't get a shot. And you're going to be thinking, gosh, I wish I was in that tree. Well, if you'd have been in that tree, you'd have spooked him, um, and he's not going to come back. You know, So just put your time in and, and realize that there are going to be times when the buck that you're after comes out he doesn't work far enough into the plot or he doesn't make the loop and end up on your side. You know, again, that's kind of where that, that scrape tree would, would ideally benefit you. You could bring him across. But now you've got a wind that blows in the opposite direction. There's nothing that's going to get to him. You can approach it, you know, coming into the wind. Now the wind is blowing away from the field. You're on the opposite side of where he comes out or where the deer come out. Uh, I've got a bunch of situations like that that, that hunt really, really well. And I can hunt them day after day, especially if there's like a line of cedar trees or something on a fence line that's on, 
you know, the downwind away from the timber side of the food plot. Uh, I've got tons of those kind of setups. And again, you just have to be patient, but you're, you're not out there screwing stuff up. Um, I would rather have naturally moving deer for as long as possible than be sitting right on top of them and hope for the best. You know, you might only get one or two good hunts before the deer are onto you. Uh, so that's kind of a, a general food plot tip, but that doesn't apply to just what we're talking about. That's more of a, of, of a overall strategy. And then you say, well, what if there's not a tree in the right place? Well, that's where these blinds come in and, and, uh, we could talk about that. And, and I do have an example of a, of a hunt where we got away with murder putting a blind in. And I think people would be fascinated by that. And I can give you lots of examples of spots that I set up, you know, on the opposite side of the food plot. So the wind is blowing, you know, across the plot from where the deer come out over to me. And then I've killed, you know, big deer out of those spots. I've done that, gosh, many, many times. Um, well, yeah, well, let's, let's hear that. Let's, I mean, you you pretty much answered the, the question in terms of, you know, how how does something pay off for you? Well, that tip right there of not going in and screwing it up with your your wind or your access, you know, I guess that, let's hear that blind story, how the how the good access paid off and putting that blind across in a safe spot paid off for you. Well, I mean, I've got the best stand that I've ever hunted, uh, and I don't know if the guy that bought my farm appreciates just how good the spot is. <laughs> it's unbelievably good. Uh, it was about a one-acre food plot, and it it was, like, indented into the timber on two sides. And then one side had, like, a little brushy draw coming up out of the timber. And then the fourth side was a, a cedar fence row. And, uh, and then behind that was open fields. So <clears throat> I put the tree stand in that – or the, the – I started with the tree stand, and then it – you know, evolved into a redneck line. I put the redneck line into that cedar fence line. So it was on the opposite end of the food plot from where the deer came out. I could hunt that as long as the wind was blowing more or less, you know, from the deer towards me. It didn't even have to be, you know, 100%. You had so much margin for error there that there was only maybe one wind direction where I couldn't hunt it. Um, but other than that, I could hunt it day after day after day you know you'd sneak in there on the back side of that cedar fence line pop into that redneck blind and then you're facing out into that little one acre plot from that blind it might have been a little bit more than an acre maybe it was an acre and a half it always had enough uh food in there that it made it through the hunting season you know so it was never they never fed it down you know where it wasn't productive uh and it was far enough away from the trees and this is another thing we need to talk about too probably before we get out of here but um if you put your food plots right in the timber, you know, on a dry year, you're not going to get anything because the trees are taking everything. They're taking all the water from underneath the, underneath the ground um, and your stuff doesn't grow. But this one was far enough away from the, the bulk of the timber that it grew every year. Um, unbelievable spot. I don't know how many bucks we killed out of there. Six or eight, ten. I don't know. I mean, I could give you a lot of stories of really, really good hunts out of that tree and, or out of that blind. The most recent was 2019, uh, right before I sold the farm, I killed a buck that was probably a low 180s 10-pointer uh, that uh, I, I, we had filmed him the year before. I mean, knew he was in the general area or thought he was, and then he did not show up on any trail cameras all during that, you know, the, the ramp up to the season in 2019. So I'd kind of halfway written him off, like, yeah, maybe, you know, died during the winter or, you know, moved someplace else, you know, a certain percentage of bucks will relocate every year. You know, it's 
not a high percentage, maybe 25 to 30% of the bucks, you know, will have a new home range, uh, which kind of stinks. But, you know, once in a while you pick one up that, you know, you didn't expect. Well, anyway, I, I assume that he must have moved on. 23rd of October, we're just sitting there kind of killing time because <laughs> the wind was wrong for one of the spots that I wanted to hunt. And he shows up out there and, and uh, you know, there was a bunch of deer that had kind of come and gone. We hadn't spooked anything, of course, you know, because the wind is blowing into the plot. It's not blowing across wind. The deer won't pick you up uh, in any different direction. It's almost like you're going to the movies and you're watching the big screen, you know, looking out of that blind. You just get to watch the all the action and, and all the, you know, the, the fun of, of the evening unfolding. Well, he popped out on the edge of the timber and, and my jaw dropped and, and uh, Drake Lamb was filming it and his, you know, he started kind of like shaking over there. I'm like, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we need to get serious now. <laughs> but uh, that was one example where, you know, had we, had we hunted that spot in any other way, I mean, I ended up killing the deer, 20-yard shot, and everything worked out good in that example. Um, it doesn't always, but it did that day. But had we hunted that any other way, we never could have been there long enough to have survived the other deer coming out and, and feeding in there, and, you know, that something would have caught us. Uh, and, and, again, that spot was so good. I never hunted it hardly ever with a gun. The kid, and I never did. The kids did once in a while, and they killed some really big deer there too. But I was just bow hunting it. And uh, just put the time in, you know, some, some years I might've sat there, you know, 15 times and had, you know, deer out there all every single time and never, they never got educated to the fact that I was there. But anyway, that's, that, that's a best case example of, of access and, uh, you know, setting up, I'd say the, the perfect situation. If you own land, if you can set up spots like that, Gosh, they're just so good. It, it, it almost gets to where um, you get lazy and you don't want to hunt hard anymore. You just want to go sit there, you know, because it's so much fun to just sit back and watch the action. Um, yeah. So in, in some ways, you kind of get spoiled when you got spots that are that good. Well, I mean, you you created it though, which is what's awesome about it. You know, you knew where to put that, how to access it when to hunt it, when not to. I mean, I can picture the video of that deer walking out from the left side, I believe. And, yeah, uh, yeah that was that was just a badass situation. I mean, you were... Yeah, that was. And that's just one example of success that we had there. Um, right. I mean, there was a bunch of other ones, too, of really, really good hunts that took place in that spot. And it's only because of the way that it's set up. Um, and, and I can give you an example, and maybe we can save it for another segment or whatever, of using these blinds when the wind is wrong and you know it's wrong, and going in and, and killing deer anyway. Uh, we've had some good success doing that, too. So uh might be one we can come back on. But So so the other option, then, like, we, like we're kind of elaborating on, setting up on the backside of the plot and letting the deer come to you. If there's not a tree there that's suitable, the blinds are a good option. In that situation, normally, you're probably going to have to have somebody come and, and move the deer off at the end of legal shooting time because you don't want to climb down out of a blind. You don't want to do anything to spook the deer, but it says, oh, you could howl like a coyote, you know, or you could throw something at them. Well, they're still going to, they're still going to equate that to danger from the blind. And then the blind becomes like the suspicious element. Uh, You want them to think that the blind is just farm equipment, that it has 
nothing to do with humans. And, uh, you know, so you don't ever want to draw attention to it. So you always want any kind of a spook, you know, that moves a deer off so you can climb down to come from someplace else, you know, away from, you know, away from where you're sitting. That makes perfect sense. That's awesome. Um, great, great tip there to, to wrap up that segment, Bill. Um, I think <laughs> there was like 15 tips in there. So that, that was awesome. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. <laughs>